On the Healthy Human Revolution podcast, Dr. Lori Marbus interviews nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests whose informative and inspiring stories will empower you with the knowledge to transform your life and health. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and I am so excited to welcome one of my colleagues, Dr. Elizabeth Wantine. How are you? Doing excellent. Uh, so nice to be here, and thanks for having me. You're welcome. And the fun part about you is you're one of our specialists, and well, our only specialists at this point. There you point. go. You're going to be special. <laughs> the only specialist. <laughs> the, the one and only. And that is OBGEN. And what a cool thing to mix together that type of specialty with lifestyle medicine. But can you tell us a little bit of history about? One, why you wanted to become a doctor, and how did you discover lifestyle medicine? How did that evolve? Well, that, that's a fun story. So first of all, people will recognize my accent. So I'm originally from Quebec. So prior to my medical school, I studied what you call here kinesiology. And then I did a master's degree in exercise physiology and obesity research. I mean, it, it was very cool. Like when I did my research, um, it was in genetics. So I was training 20 sets of identical and non-identical twins. Oh, wow. We had to find them first. And I had to train them for 18 weeks, 20 weeks. So oh, wow. I, I was totally responsible. So the, anyway, this, this was a good publication, but it was, this is the beginning of my story. So I've always been very interesting. At that time, we were doing exercise, comparing genetic, but also overfeeding. Uh, twins. Can you believe that? And those, those research started in Vermont, where I am now. But anyway, it interests me to, um, you know, research was something, but I could tell that I needed to have the contact with people. So this is what, what brought me to, uh, to medicine. And, and then my idea with medicine was to do sports medicine. I never, ever imagined I was going to do specialty in OBGYN. But in sports medicine, when I was doing my round, you know, I realized that all these athletes, including you, because I know you train, would come and would not even listen to the recommendation. You know, you're not supposed to run, get a tendonitis, nobody listened. I say, that is not what I want to do. So anyway, involving the story, I uh, choose the specialty of OBGYN. And um, I only practiced a little bit in Quebec. I was interested at, at the time I was supposed to do a fellowship in endocrinology, coming back into an academic center in Quebec. But um, I said, yeah, I'm just going to try and go do something else. So I came to the United States thinking I was going to do a couple of years. And I did 27 years in a small community in Vermont, which was amazing because I really uh, had a good place to raise my two girls, um, did a lot of activities. So I'm very active, ran marathon in those days. And I still active, you know, do a lot of biking. Um, but, you know, with my background in exercise physiology and obesity, I've always been interested and in look at my patient and try to help them. So my patients were growing older with me and were starting to gain weight and were starting to have chronic disease. Mm -hmm. So as a good physician, I send them back to their primary care physician. They would come back on medication. I said, hmm. <laughs> I get an idea that something else could be done. So I start exploring and trying to help them. Uh, and this is a little bit how I discovered the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. This was a while ago, probably 10, 12 years ago. So when wow. I started with them, we were probably about 200 at the conference. And the last wow. time that we had a live one, we were about 5,000. So it's been growing. It shows how 
this field has been substantially growing. And when I went the first time, I was not bad in exercise and nutrition. Well, I think I wasn't bad. But then I met those guys like Assistine and uh, Ornish. And I'm like, you're kidding me. I'm a physician. I have absolutely no clue. And I'm somebody who likes to research. I had no clue of the importance of a plant food-based diet, how much it would impact the health of my patient. So I came home and I knew that the science was there, but I decided to do an experiment locally. So I took 15 people that had all sorts of different uh, problem, uh, disease, chronic disease. And during Thanksgiving time, I encouraged them to do with me a 21 day plant foods based diet. So this was with the PCRM at the time. That was about mm. what we had. Uh, um, that was the easiest way to do it. But, you know, we test them before, test them after and show them the amazing results and how they mm. felt. It was just, the difference was just so amazing. So we were kind of learning together, which is usually what works the best. You can come and tell people the literature says that, but once they try it, it's like Dr. Kreger, right? you know, you got to put it to evidence. So people tried mm. it. And it changed their lives. And therefore, long story short, <laughs> it was a very long story. So I made the uh, lifestyle medicine and practice uh, lifestyle medicine. I became the medical director of lifestyle medicine in my institution. And we also had what we call Rise Vermont, which was all over the state of Vermont to uh, encourage changing lifestyle. Uh, in order to help specifically childhood obesity. Mm -hmm. So I've started that. I was part of uh, the founder of what we call now Rise Vermont, which is very interesting if you're interested to look at it. Uh, but community-based intervention is definitely huge. And then wow. I kind of finished a little bit what I was doing here and uh, was searching, uh, hey, with COVID, how do we do this? How do we succeed to reach people? And I had mentioned to my uh, hospital how important before that the telehealth would be but then suddenly everything was changing and this is a little bit how I uh, was lucky enough to uh, kind of you know encounter had the chance to meet with you and mm -hmm. then discovered that hey wait a minute I can do this uh, in telehealth and continue helping patients so obviously my in biggest interest myself is certainly with women I'm not restricted but it's certainly where I have the biggest experience and then maybe I should let you ask me questions because now I give <laughs> my life <laughs> no I think that's great there's so much there I am curious about the Rise Vermont. Tell, can you tell me a little bit, what were those community interventions that you did? So, you know, the biggest thing is, um, so we start with a community, a, a group in the community that was not only physician, but also people bank, uh, people from the school, uh, retired individual. We sat down and we look at community health risks, the, the, the assessment. And what was at the top for us was definitely obesity and childhood obesity. So we, we decided that we were going to attack this, but we knew that by attacking this important, we, we probably would help a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest thing was how are we going to do this? And my research allowed me to discover a group in uh, Europe that had substantial results with childhood obesity. And the group at the time uh, was called EPOD. So that's an acronym in French that in English means uh, together, let's prevent childhood obesity. They had amazing results. If I could just show you the slide when they were 
implementing in the school, they had about the same result. And then when they started the community, they had this substantial drop. The response was just amazing. So it was this infiltration of the community to trying to make the change, the activity, having some uh, champion that were from the the community that was involved. So people that were known and were starting to get involved and explain things and then some physical activities, some, uh, we had them, uh, a bike that was used to make shape that we would go into school to. I mean, all sorts of activity that involved not only the school, but into the uh, city and, and building some bike paths, some walkable area to the school, mm. policy changes in the school. It's multiple little things uh, that eventually um, you know, brought this to another level. So when we started, it was in our community, like us here, it's Franklin and Grand Isle. And then we presented with the team of Europe that came here, we presented at the state level. Oh, cool. And at the state level, they say, wait a minute, we need that for a primary prevention. Uh, and it, with, that, with our ACO that we call One Care Vermont, they decided that uh, Rice Vermont was going to be at the state level. So we implemented program manager in all the different area, mainly through hospital. Um, of course, during COVID was a little bit harder, but it's still uh, doing very, very well. So it's, awesome. uh, it's a growing. And one of the things that was important was to do measurement. So when I came with the idea that we needed to measure the kids uh-huh. to, do, to weigh them, and we were doing that really in the sense that the kids were in the family. Nobody was aware of uh, you know, their numbers to make sure that it was accepted. We did all the elementary school that was in Franklin, Van Nuys. So that was over for us. It's a small school, but every two years, we plan to measure them to see the progression. And we did a publication to demonstrate that what we measure real demonstrate that the numbers were much higher. The risk and the number of obesity were higher than what we obtained with the, you know, typical uh, YWRS, the, the, the typical uh, evaluation that we do, uh, you know, people tend to uh, tell the numbers being a little bit lower. So it's very, uh, it's an amazing project. Uh, yeah. and, and actually we're helping in another community in, uh, in uh, Washington County. So in trying Vermont. To, yeah, no, this is not in Vermont. This one oh. is in, uh, let me think about it, Maryland. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm helping with my business partner to um, build a community-based intervention and help them to, to describe a little bit more the evidence-based model that okay. we have and to help them to start from the ground. So it's a, it's a system that works very well from the, not only from the top down, but the bottom up approach. Mm. So in order to involve it. So we're a little bit far, but mm. it's still, it's lifestyle. It's, mm. um, you know, the impact that you and I have when we talk to one patient at a time, it takes a while to make mm. a difference. If you get into the community and you can influence a lot of people, mm-hmm. then you make a, a, a bigger difference uh, faster. And people mm. don't realize it. things happen. So it's a... Mm. Uh, yeah, and you're changing the culture of the community for generations because you're setting those. Well, hopefully, that, that's cool. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. A passion. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't start with your kids, I mean, 
why wouldn't you start with them? Because they're, it's just, that's how it starts. I just think that's so very important. My goodness. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. And the kids has such an amazing message and influence on us. We just don't realize it. They just, they just do things naturally. Mm -hmm. uh, so you just need to give them the tool to understand they, uh, they're much brilliant than we are. <laughs> no, it was funny in the conversation I had earlier today was about, we kind of just, you know, is talking about how, the, we have so many lessons to learn even from our own children if we're open to learning and open to the messages and looking and you know perceiving them as opportunities to change ourselves for the better from these little creatures that are turned into adults <laughs> so well, we have a tendency to think that we know it all and we're uh, older so we know um and obviously when they're younger they tend to tell us that we know nothing and then eventually you probably notice when they get older they finally realize that maybe maybe we have a little bit of wisdom into yeah. the things. there is a there is a poem it's and it's a regarding um children as they start out as dogs or puppies and and they turn into cats for a little bit as uh, independent and you know puppies are always looking and wanting your attention and just so happy and to yes. see you and love you and snuggle and then then they turn into cats you know they're independent they put their <laughs> That's a good one. and walk away and they're like i'll come back when i want to type thing and then they turn back into dogs as they enter an adulthood i was like that is brilliant. It does a really funny uh, poem. Yeah. I actually save it to send to moms who are struggling. Like it gets better. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. I wasn't aware, but uh, yes, yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> I will funny. take that. <laughs> um, excellent. And so then as far as, you know, the lifestyle medicine with, you know, if with us, we can kind of talk also regarding women's health, which I feel is really not brought up. You know, they talk a lot about more of the general chronic diseases, but we don't really speak to things that really affect women like menopause symptoms, osteoporosis, you know, painful periods, childbirth, pregnancy health. I think there's so many things there that we could be more effective at if we actually spoke about it more in, in our community of plant-based, you know, lifestyle medicine. I think it's touched upon, but not to the extent that it should. What is kind of your favorite things to see with lifestyle, interventions that really help women at least more women prone um diseases well i think that you're right i think that we um i mean you know the the population are just starting to realize that the diet is so important and that uh, the plant base could have such a huge impact on on disease like diabetes and hypertension and cardiovascular disease um, and, and cancer, they, they don't necessarily even think uh, so much at the importance of cancer. And therefore, you don't think that, uh, you know, what, what would um, change in my diet would do to me as a woman. We, we don't think that way. But it's huge. It, it makes a big difference, you know, just to know that even when you're younger and you get to the teenager to make sure that, you know, you don't end up with too much fat, too much estrogen, with too much in the early um, in arc and uh, that could have an impact. So, you know, early on you have this and the premenstrual syndrome that could be potentially affected by, you know, eating a typical American diet that could be substantially improved with eating differently, like more of a plant-based diet. Um, cramp dysmenorrhea related to um, severe bleeding, you know, that we call menorrhagia 
that could be substantially reduced by sometimes losing some weight, losing some estrogen level in your body. And then you can keep going because obviously you're talking about, you know, when you start your period and then premenstrual syndrome and then, then fibroids, you know, that are related to certain elements of high estrogen and then, mm. then the menopause. So all that, we, it, it, first of all, it's subject that is just turning. We're just turning to talk about women, their menopause. It's, we know it's there, but people are afraid to discuss mm. it openly and say, okay, what is my problem? You know, we mm. all get into menopause with different symptoms. No woman is the same. Mm. And so that it is important to realize that um, by, by doing some changes, especially related to what you put in your body could have substantial impact with a lot of all the things that I just said. Uh, it just takes a little bit of time. So for you, let's say, Laurie, I know you're very good with diabetes. Well, it doesn't take long that they see their numbers changing and they're convinced that, wow, I can do this. It takes a little bit more time for the women. And women are always questionable. You know, is this really going to work for me? So it takes a while. We need to talk. And that's why I said, you know what? Group, group visit when you can let them discuss see what's, you know, what they believe, they don't believe, they listen to each other, tell you the truth. When I have a good visit, I do absolutely nothing. Once they start talking, I'm only there to monitor, make sure that there's no, they start talking and they give you so much information. It's amazing. So a little bit of what you've been asking, I hope. Yeah. What, what specific prescriptions of lifestyle medicine do you use for, let's say women who are kind of suffering with menopause or, you know, the hot flashes or the moodiness, the fatigue, the not sleeping well, what have you found to be beneficial for those women? Well, it's, it's, it's comprehensive. It's not only nutrition. So you have to obviously take time to listen, which is often a, a missed part of us from a mm. physician point of view, because we're in a system where you see somebody for 10 minutes and you cannot deal with somebody who has been going through menopause or having premenstrual syndrome. It takes a little bit of time, so you have to be able to listen. There is with lifestyle medicine, as you probably know, some pillar that you have to be um, conscientious about. So the sleeping you just mentioned. So that's, that's one element in itself that we have to take time and review what's causing the difficulty sleeping. Is it the hot flashes or something else? Then the stress level, obviously, then the nutrition, the exercise component movement, and then the social um, that is related to that. So we have to take, you cannot just take one thing. Is it, is it just hot flashes, like give you a pill, you know, hormone replacement therapy, which could be indicated. You gotta, uh, you know, be careful of trying to make all these changes. And then if it's an extreme case, sometimes the hormone are still indicated. So you just need to take time, listen, and make sure that, you're going toward what is really needed. So then, you know, the first thing is really the listening, which I really think that physicians are not very good at it. Mm. So gathering data by observing and listening and discussing, you know, just kind of the general, I almost feel sometimes like a, a private eye or a detective with patients because they come in with these really interesting problems. But then you, like you said, you start listening and peeling back layers and you're just like, 
wait a minute, there's a little more going on here than just this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The problem that they come up, you always have to think the problem that they, it's like coaching because I do a lot of coaching. The problem that they come up with, you kind of, it's probably not what they really need to. So you have to sit there and say, okay, that's what she's asking. Well, let mm. me, let me listen now. And so you don't tell them that obviously, but you're like, okay, this is what the complaint that she has. Let me just start by thinking there's probably something else, but tell me. And, and you listen. And, you know, I, I tell you, this is so huge. And I think this is such a big missing component. But uh, then it allows you to eventually put the effort into where the, the needed is. Because sometimes it's the simple thing that you need to change, especially for the hot flashes. And it's not everybody, obviously, first of all, that will have hot flashes. So, so we always try to put everybody in the same bucket. <laughs> you're a woman, you're all going to go through menopause at 51. You're all going to have health flashes, just like in my mother. And it's not like that. You know, a lot of women do not go to that. And some women, it's extreme. So you really have to pay attention. And being able to show them that in other populations, like in Japan, before they were placed with the same kind of diet that we have, they didn't have any hot flashes. So there is something that we need to be, uh, you know, careful with. So again, it would be prevention, and that's feasible, probably even better that before they reach the age of uh, uh, menopause. Absolutely, you know, it's just kind of like the osteoporosis, and I. It really was clarified. I was reading some research as you, you know, we talked about earlier how we're really focusing in on osteoporosis and providing mm -hmm. some resources for our patients. We're trying to build that a very good protocol guidelines, so to speak. Um, and I was reading about someone's uh, mentioned, you know, <clears throat> osteoporosis is really a pediatric disease because we really have to be focused in on what are we doing to our kids to help them reach their, you know, maximum bone mineral density by age 30, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I never really thought about that, but when you start looking at the causes of osteoporosis and then we, we, we go to diagnose it at such a late stage, we need to be looking at this at a much earlier stage. Absolutely. What have you found is, are there any common denominators that you've seen with women as far as their osteoporosis risk? I mean, is it truly, do you think around menopause or, or do you have any thoughts on they well, never quite reached it maybe? I don't know. So um, obviously it's difficult because we don't know, we don't have all these data, but in itself, we know that the numbers of you say women are definitely much more affected than men. Uh, and therefore already that should gives you a little bit of a sign. Men mm -hmm. has more muscle mass, and more testosterone, obviously, but muscle mass is kind of a quote unquote preventing factor. So we always say exercise, but exercise, you gotta be careful. Women, we tend to do exercise like aerobic exercise, you know, this it, sometimes in excessive because you're concerned about weight gain, you wanna lose weight. Well, for the prevention of osteoporosis, it is more like weight bearing exercise, like, you know, doing a little bit of weight of you say, but you can go for a walk with small weight and do it or get a backpack and walk with a backpack maybe not as long but a little bit you know you get to carry a little bit more weight now the studies have shown that usually one of the things is that if you're a little bit heavier you certainly have less risk um, to have osteoporosis that's probably one of the benefits 
to be a little bit heavier. And I wouldn't encourage people to be obese or overweight mm -hmm. to prevent osteoporosis, but that's probably uh, you know, one of the factors that is a little bit of a prevention. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then obviously the problem is that if you were, and we discussed that earlier, um, the problem with the diet is that it's, it's difficult to compare easily between a plant-based and the typical American a diet. It's, it's first of all, when we measure people, they're already a little bit older. Um, so we don't know what had affect so much their level of bone. Uh, is it because, yeah, they've never really paid attention when they were younger and at 30, their level of bone was there compared to somebody else that we don't have the information. There's also multiple other factors that place. Yes, there's genetic, but there's also smoking, uh, alcohol, um, taking some steroids will have impact. So, you know, you got to take into account all these things and try to say it's an ensemble. It's not just one thing and say, you know, at menopause, you need to do this and take medication. But those medications that are given on people that have been measured, so we can do a specific measurement that we call the DEXA. So it's like an X-ray of your bone and specifically checking the spine and the hip, that's probably the area where we can find more um, fracture, you know, hip fracture or the vertebral fracture that uh, women more specifically will have. And, and when it shows a, a bigger deviation, then we would suggest to those people to be on medication. But we got to be careful with medication. First of all, it's expensive. Um, they often will have some side effect and not easy to take. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the studies are not so clear to how much they are significantly reducing the fracture. So the message basically is that prevention, prevention, prevention. We got to be careful of eating a well-rounded diet, very colorful of plant-based and paying attention to our movement that is a little bit more weight-bearing. That's the biggest uh, message and supplement. We got to be careful with that too. You know, people think I'm going to take calcium, but mm. most of these, first of all, I haven't proved that calcium will make a big difference. And the calcium supplement are, are often not even digested to the point that they transmit the, the best calcium. So it goes and doesn't really do anything uh, mm. to your bone. So simple message, prevention, prevention, <laughs> prevention, eat well, move. <laughs> What was that prevention? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> oh, I think I think that's great. I think you're exactly right. Um, it is prevention, prevention, but we seem to be getting it's it's interesting because people don't ever think about oh, when you're 20 or 30, even 40, you're just like that's there, that future, that risk, that concern. But then when it hits you, we're at this point with our bone mass, it's a big deal. This prevention, it's so very important. So women listen get out and move and don't be afraid to lift some heavy weights it's okay unless of course you have osteoporosis and had a fracture you got to be careful but there, there are definitely specific uh, guidelines for exercise but exactly yeah and, right. and i think you're right so this is one of those um osteoporosis you know we don't talk enough about it mm. it, it affect what 12 million uh, of us, that's 3% of the population in the United States. And of that 3%, 70% is women. So women, you're right, we got to do something about it and being 
uh, more careful of talking about this. And, and then, you know, those hip fracture, we think, oh, we don't think that it's related to our bone uh, loss. And we have to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, and I, and I caution patients too, because I had, um, you know, I've had a few patients, uh, I'd say, you know, has anyone spoke to you about osteoporosis? And they'll say no. And I, I think primary care doctors have not done a very good job of addressing this. Honestly, I, I don't, I think we do a poor job, at least from my survey of the patients I'm seeing across the country. Um, but uh, sometimes they don't even want to get the test done to see if they have it. And I think that's an unfortunate thing because that's just kind of the baseline marker. Then we can see where these interventions actually might be beneficial. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting how they almost feel like putting their head in the sand and being ignorant is helpful, but it's not. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not all the time easy also to find the place where you can have the proper testing. Mm-hmm. And the recommendation is that age, you know, majority is from women is age 65. I, I would say that it's almost a little bit too late because, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to prevent, it's nice to see it uh, before. So I think we're discussing in the group to um, have a good, uh, our group of lifestyle of, uh, you know, probably reaching out to um, women a little bit younger, suddenly reaching menopause, because once you lose the estrogen that are protective factor, it's even more important to be very careful uh, about what you do and eat. So you can imagine that if we have our average menopause age being around 50, 51, and you wait until you're 65. There's a lot of things that could happen during uh, this period. So, you know, and you have to think that once you get a hip fracture, the majority will have a substantial impact within the next year. Mm -hmm. And there's a high risk of mortality associated with uh, that within the first year. It's almost Mm -hmm. 10 to 20%, if my number is not wrong. So you gotta think, wait, wait a minute. This is is very serious business here. Yeah, Yeah. we're talking about life and death and people, we just, I just, we just haven't been discussing it in lifestyle medicine. I just feel like we talk so much about heart disease and diabetes and hypertension, which are all very important, but there's also this kind of, big gorilla in the room, an elephant in the room that we're just kind of looking over and going, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, and you, like you said, I, I, I think it's uh, even in the typical medicine, it hasn't raised sufficient uh, um, attention. And again, I don't want to say, is there an equity in sex here? Because it touched women much more than men. Yeah. And, and yeah. however, when men are touched, usually then they have a fracture, it seems that it's even worse. So it's very it's important. Yeah, like you said at the beginning, plant-based is just starting. People are just mm-hmm. starting to, sometimes when I walk around, they see my shirt. Oh, I just started on please. So I never heard anything like that 10 years ago. People would yeah. think I'm crazy to wear a shirt like this. So it's, it's actually, the message is out there. Do they make the relation with the impact that this could be um, helping women and quote-unquote osteoporosis? I don't mm-hmm. think so. But we could. Yeah, <laughs> we absolutely. Could yeah, I really, I, you know, as, as I like to tell these amazing doctors that I work with, including yourself, is just how awful that, not awful, how wonderful, awful, oh my goodness, I was thinking how wonderful or awesome it is to work with a group of people with a, a national presence 
now that we can work with these patients and really hone in and say, you know, lifestyle medicine works on a national level. And we have, we, we can prove it. We can actually see the difference because we are seeing patients from Alaska to Florida, to New York and Vermont down to, you know, the Southwest California. So and I'm hoping internationally for me. Yes. Give me yes. some people from France, Quebec. Yes, we have. We have had patients uh, request, you know, Spanish speaking. So I certainly think guys, well, let's, that's a perfect segue into discussing your states and your language capabilities. Please share with us the states that you're in and what, well, French, obviously, but tell us more. <laughs> well, me, I'm in Vermont now. So I have license okay. in Vermont, Michigan, Florida, and New York. Uh, and I'm just international. So uh, at some point, hopefully it's the message, you know, mm -hmm. once you have a, somebody from let's say Quebec uh, or France that know what we're doing that uh, eventually somebody talked to somebody and this is the best, this word of mouth will make a difference. Uh, you know, we're early, but you know, when you think the American college kind of start 10 years ago, you uh, were bold sufficiently to think about starting a telehealth clinic prior to the COVID. And now you have what, seven of us that are working There's together? Eight of us, nine, well, nine, nine now, and we'll have nine, 10 so. by the end of the year, which will probably be where we hold for a bit. But um, yeah, I, I think we had, well, I had seen this work really well um, for a couple of years doing lifestyle medicine on a different platform. And Anthony just kept insisting. I'm like, all right. <laughs> well, yeah, of, he was good. That's, that's yeah. Uh, that's, he uh, had a vision. Yeah. Yes. He yes. Had, and he's, you know, and I'm glad to be a part of, even if me, I'm, I'm kind of on the other side of my career a little bit. And I do a lot of coaching with physicians. And I, I, mm. I would have been sad not having the chance to have this relation with patient and trying to help them in something that I enjoyed. So transmitting mm -hmm. this message, I wanted to keep it. So having the chance to work with all of you, it's fun. It's fun to listen to all the other physician, younger, you know, family mm -hmm. practice. It's different than I'm not used <laughs> to have all these others. So it's fun, fun. Yeah. Well, you know, as I enter into my 50s too, I'm thinking, well, how long do I want to be working on this, you know, the patient side, but I want to build the business. So it's an interesting transition as you come in, I think, out of your 40s, and then you kind of enter this middle phase, 50s, maybe towards 60s. It's just a different thought process that starts occurring in your mind that I, I hadn't been in really thinking about, but it, it definitely hits for sure. So yeah, it's, um, it's all good. It's, it's amazing. And it's bubbling. You know, there's people around that are very much uh, interested that are a little bit and, you know, a way don't, they will get it. They will get it progressively. Mm -hmm. And this practice of lifestyle and helping people to change the way they are feeling better. It's mm -hmm. gonna, this is gonna be in the forefront of our future. So I think oh. that, uh, you know, you're doing excellent. No, thank you. And I can't wait for everyone to, you know, really start booking up and getting you guys uh, some amazing patients. We've already seen thousands. Um, it's just, and I, I know what's coming around the corner because there's some big stuff planned for us. I'm really excited, but folks, if you really, really, really want to see the amazing Dr. Um, Elizabeth Fontaine, please check out it's plantbasedtelehealth.com. 
you know, go uh, to meet the docs or you can scroll down and you'll see her name and go ahead and book. And we're super excited. If you're in the state of Vermont, Michigan, New York, or Florida, Florida, or internationally, or if you're close to those states, you can actually go. Yeah. If you're, if you're actually, let's say you live in Pennsylvania, but you're close to New York or New Jersey, you can really step into New York state lines. And at the time of the appointment, actually see any physician that's licensed in that state at the time of the appointment. That's how the laws are working right now anyway. Um, but uh, yes, it's very exciting. And, you know, Dr. Fontaine, do you have any um, maybe final thoughts or words or suggestions you'd like to share with the audience? I think we should ask the audience something that you and I had been discussing, doing like a little inside survey. What would be the reaction of your patient, maybe more female, if we were to do a group uh, visit regarding menopause? To so have the mm -hmm. chance to discuss menopause with, let's say, me as a physician mm -hmm. and, and see the uh, plant-based, uh, what, what would be the interest? And maybe they, they can write it down into mm -hmm. your comment and tell us, yeah, I would be in. That would be interesting for us. It's some sort of an inside uh, survey. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. So if you guys have um, any interest in group visits regarding women's health, menopause, osteoporosis, things such as those, um, please, yeah, send it. You can either send it to info at pb, like plant-based telehealth.com. You can put it in the comments. I'm obviously observing these on YouTube and Instagram um, some, and Facebook. So wherever you want to put those comments or send them our way, we'd be, it, it'd be nice to have that feedback. I certainly know my patients have um, voiced that they would be interested in that more than a few. And so I, I think we're definitely on to something. Yeah, and share and tell us. And uh, we learned so much from you guys uh, uh, that tell us you look at what we're talking about and then you help us out to build the future. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Dr. Fontaine, for your time and expertise. And uh, we can't wait to look uh, move forward and see where the future takes us with plant-based telehealth. That's amazing. And thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you for everybody for listening and uh, giving us input. Awesome. Thanks for watching. And I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go, though, please hit the subscribe button and the alert button so you will be notified whenever we upload any new videos. On Monday, we upload the Healthy Human Revolution podcast. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find it on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. Now, if you're looking for more resources on how to start a plant-based diet, sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, anything regarding wellness, we've got you covered. Check out HealthyHumanRevolution.com. And again, thanks for watching.